This is Shelter in Place, a podcast about coming together in a world that pulls us apart. From Oakland, California to Hamilton, Massachusetts, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. For the past two weeks, my family and I have been on the road. We're in the final chapters of what we've been calling our pandemic odyssey, a journey that took us from California to Massachusetts and now back again. We've had some shipwrecks along the way, and we're very much at the mercy of divine forces. But we've also been shown great kindness and hospitality by both new and old friends along the way. It's been the story behind every episode we've created for season two. And if you've been listening to those episodes, then you know that story and me pretty well by now. We won't make it back to Oakland until early August. We're making this journey the same way we did the first one doing a lot of camping, and staying with friends and family kind enough to take us in. Right now, we're in the Smoky Mountains. You might hear that rushing stream behind me. I'm recording on my phone inside my car, because there's no place quiet enough for me to set up my microphone. And it's beautiful. I'll tell you more about this place in a future episode, but right now, I want to share with you something different. As my family and I are slowly making our way home, we're also asking a lot of questions about what home is. We've missed our home in Oakland, and we're excited to return to the community that for 16 years has made that place feel more like home than anywhere we've ever been. But returning there is by no means simple. We'll likely arrive just as the California wildfire season begins. Our cost of living will triple overnight. There are a lot of questions we need to answer before we can decide if Oakland is home for good. So this summer, we're working on a mini-series about home in all of its complications and beauty. We'll be thinking a lot about what's next and trying to answer the questions that haven't gotten any simpler in a year of being away. Make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you're listening so that you don't miss that mini-series when it's released. Today, I want to share with you an episode that I love from season one with poet Roxanne Beth Johnson. It came out almost exactly a year ago, in the days leading up to Juneteenth. I find it so interesting to listen back to what life was like then, just a few months into the pandemic, but I also find it encouraging because a lot has changed since then. Not just with vaccines and the world finally opening up again, but with our country making steps forward to repair our history. This week, for the first time in 40 years, Congress voted to establish Juneteenth as a federal holiday. It's a day that has also been called Freedom Day, Liberation Day, and Emancipation Day. It's the day when 156 years ago, on June 19, 1865, Union Army General Gordon Granger announced to enslaved African Americans that the Civil War was over and they were finally free. In 1979, Texas was the first state to declare Juneteenth a holiday. In a time when it can feel like our political divide is irreparable, I find it so encouraging that in both the Senate and the House, there were only a few people who opposed making Juneteenth a national holiday. So today, as you listen to Roxanne, I wanna invite you to think not just about how life has changed this past year, but how we can make it different and better in the future. Roxanne holds a special place in my life, which I talk a bit about in this episode, and I hope you benefit from her wise and thoughtful words as much as I do every time I have the pleasure of being with her. Even if you're not someone who typically reads poetry, 
I highly recommend that you check this one out. And when you're done, buy her books, Black Crow Dress and Jubilee. Over the years, I've read them over and over again, and they're a gift to me each time. Here's that conversation from a year ago. Monday afternoon, as my kids played in the backyard and helicopters flew overhead, the eerie off-tone of cell phone emergency alerts reverberated through the neighborhood. Beginning at 8 p.m. Monday night, Alameda County began enforcing a curfew order requiring all non-exempt persons to remain indoors between 8 p.m. and 5 a.m. In other parts of the country, curfews have been enforced in an attempt to contain COVID-19. Here, the curfew is about George Floyd and about all of the Black lives taken unjustly before him. For the past few days, I've had only sporadic access to the news, since our internet hasn't been working and even my phone connection has been spotty. Most of what I know about the protests and looting in both my current city and in Minneapolis, the one I grew up in, is from friends who've reached out. I doubt my technological challenges have anything to do with what is going on in my city, but they mirror how I'm experiencing this time which is to say that I am fumbling through with as much humility as I can, knowing all the while that I'm inadequate for the moment, that I still have so much to learn, so much more to understand, so much more work to do. My limited access to technology has made me panicky and anxious, but maybe on some level it's fitting that my own work of learning to be anti-racist is springing more from the personal connections with people I love than from the news and social media. I've never been more aware of how lucky I am to have those friends who have forgiven me and responded graciously when I've blundered once again. Today, I'm so thankful to be able to share with you the words and poetry of one of those friends. Roxanne Beth Johnson is an incredible poet whose work I have loved for years. I recommend her books, Black Crow Dress and Jubilee, whenever I get the chance. She's also an incredible person, one who I'm delighted to celebrate today in a week where there's so much to feel discouraged about. Roxanne's first book, Jubilee, won the Philip Levine Prize for Poetry, judged by Philip Levine himself. She's received fellowships from the McDowell Colony, the Breadloaf Writers Conference, the San Francisco Arts Commission, and the Vermont Studio Center. Her books are ones I keep coming back to again and again. They feel like an anchor to me during this time. Five years ago, Roxanne and I met at a Sunday afternoon gathering of friends and were drawn to each other like magnets, the only two writers in the room. The friendship we've had since then is precious to me. It's a friendship where we can go for months without seeing each other or talking, And then she'll reach out and ask me if I want to write daily reflections for the 40 days of Lent, something we've done for two years in a row now, and that has produced nearly 100 pages of my novel. She's seen me as raw as I've ever been in those writings, and has shared that kind of transparency in her own. Hers is a friendship where I feel safe to be myself, even when I'm at my worst. The frankest conversations I've ever had about racism are the ones I've had with Roxanne. She doesn't mince words or sugarcoat things, and yet, somehow, even the hard truths are delivered with a heavy dose of grace. In a week where the world feels impossible, 
My friendship with Roxanne is a beam of light. I asked Roxanne to share a couple of her poems with us today, both because I want to celebrate the art she's creating and because sometimes we need poems to put words to the things we can't yet say ourselves. I also invited her to share how she's been experiencing this time of sheltering in place and how she's finding her way toward hope even this week. She began with a poem called Blues for Almost Forgotten Music. I'm trying to remember the lyrics of old songs I've forgotten. Mostly, I'm trying to remember one-hit wonders, hymns, and musicals like West Side Story. Singing over and over what I can recall, I hum remnants on buses and in the car. I am so often alone these days with echoes of these old songs and my ghosted lovers. I am so often alone that I can almost hear it, can almost feel the half-touch of others, can almost taste the lick-clean spine of the melody I've lost. I remember the records rubbed with static and the needle gathering dust. I remember the taste of a mouth so sudden and still cold from wintry gusts. It seemed incredible then, a favorite song, a love found. It wasn't, after all. Days later, while vacuuming, the lyrics come back without thinking. Days later, I think I see my old lover in a cafe, but don't. Yet how pleasing it was to think of him finally to sing that song. This is the way of all amplitude. We need the brightness to die some. This is the way of love and music. It plays like a god and then is done. Do I feel better remembering, knowing for certain what's gone? This is Roxanne Beth Johnson. I'm 52 years old. I'm single. I've been sheltering in place since March 19th. One word I would use to describe myself is adaptable. Before we began sheltering in place, my life looked like driving to work every day or taking the shuttle, working eight to five around an enormous group of people in a huge building with 5,000 employees and six floors, eating in a huge cafeteria, riding in elevators. Now what my life looks like is working from home every day and going to the store once a week and not really going anywhere, just kind of hanging out at home. I think the worst thing about sheltering in place has been not being able to go anywhere with any kind of real freedom, but also feeling super pressured to like do something extraordinary with all my quote unquote extra time. I don't really feel like I have any extra time. And I decided about a month ago to stop pressuring myself to do something with this period like write something every day or draw something every day or take a picture every day or do something and post it on Instagram every day. I've just decided to let that go. About the current moment, it's never surprising to me, unfortunately, when someone black, particularly a black man, dies a violent death in America. This just never seems to change and it's sad that I'm just never surprised. What I would hope going forward is that, of course, this would stop and that in the meantime, the next time it happens, that the perpetrator is punished to the fullest extent of the law as soon as possible. You know, that justice would be really helpful. 
But I also think that the current response to what has been going on isn't ideal either. You know, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. I think a better response in this kind of situation would be just more heartfelt care. A national day of mourning when something like this happens, just where everything shuts down and we just are quiet as a nation. Something other than business as usual and then riots in the streets. So I'm going to read and... I'm especially proud of this poem because I won a Pushcart prize for it. And the poem is about my grandmother. I'm half black and half Italian. And I just want to say as a caveat that my Italian grandmother was a creature of her generation. At the time that this poem takes place, I was about five years old and my grandmother would have been in her late 70s. And the year was maybe 1975, so think about it. She was a wonderful person. I just want to say that. She was very, very loving to me. But she also had some kind of funky ideas about black people. So this poem is called Mulatto. Grandma is washing me white. I am the color of hot sand in the bleached sea light. I am a stain on the porcelain, persistent as tea. Stay in the shade, she said. Don't say she was the only one. Cousins opposite said, you too white. I am a night-blooming flower being pried open in the morning. My skin a curtain for a cage of bones, a blackbird coop. My heart is crusty bread, hardening, hardening. This way I feed my own fluttering. Under shade, the day looks like evening, and I cannot bear the darkness. Don't say, I can't stand to be touched. Say, I stare into the sun to burn off the soiled hands that print my body with bloody ink. Don't say, mulatto. Say, I am the horse in Oz turning different colors, each prance brightening flesh, a curiosity. Don't say, bath water spiraled down into the pipes. Say, I never did fade. Say, skin holds the perseverance of all my days. Folding, folding, the water continuously gathers, making wrinkles in a map. You can find these poems at poetryfoundation.org. You just type in my name, Roxanne Beth Johnson. When I think about the future, I feel hopeful and also really down. Life is going to be really different and I don't really know what that's gonna look like, especially in San Francisco. I am working for a major retailer in the corporate office here in the Bay Area, and we were being forced to start to sit together really closely, like Google-style seating with everybody super close, no privacy, and uh, that's not gonna happen. We're gonna have to have cubes that are at least six feet apart, which is just a lot better for productivity. So I'm really happy about that. What I need right now is less bad news, fewer outrageous events, less inner anxiety. That would be good. The best thing that anyone has done for me during this time is, I don't know, something that comes to mind is going into Target and when I went up to the self-checkout, 
one of the store employees came and disinfected the entire self-checkout stand, which was great because I couldn't find my antibacterial wipes and those are really precious. And I just didn't want to touch the keypad and the screen and I didn't have to worry about it because this employee disinfected it all and she was doing it for everybody. It was just really thoughtful. The best thing about sheltering in place has been the quiet streets, a slower pace, seeing more people walking around as families, and just having more time to be quiet, to think about what's really worthwhile in life. When I think about the future, my hopes are, of course, that we find a vaccine and we can get out and about with a little more freedom again, but still with a slower pace. But I'm looking forward to just being around people when I'm feeling down during this time, I deal with that by trying to sit quiet more, say more prayers, read psalms, see what my friends are doing on Instagram for just a minute or so, because that can be a black hole. What I dream about what life could be like after COVID-19 is I really hope that people begin to turn to God, honestly. Mindfulness is great, but there's so much more to life and to what happens after our lives than just watching our thoughts go by. You know, there's a God who we can turn to who can help us. And to just begin that relationship with this higher power, I hope that people realize that God is entirely separate from religion and that we can have a relationship with this living being outside of formal religion. God just doesn't have anything to do with that. You know, a lot of Christians and many other religious people do go to church or to synagogue, and that is a way to relate to God, but it's certainly not the only way. So that's what I'm, I'm hoping as the days progress and as people find that they need more. If you tuned in yesterday, then you know that Shelter in Place, in solidarity with so many others across the nation, did not go about business as usual, and instead observed Blackout Tuesday. I didn't know about Blackout Tuesday when Roxanne and I talked. She didn't either. But even before I found out about it, Roxanne's words stirred me to pause, to stop and take a long look in the mirror to ask myself what I can do to shift the arc of history from this point forward. We have holidays to honor the dead who have been lost in war. Why don't we have holidays to honor those whose lives have been lost to the evils of racism? Nate and I spent the day yesterday talking about how we could put our money where our mouth was. We watched Trevor Noah's thoughtful video, which I highly recommend and have included in my show notes for today. We put on masks and attended the protests this is going to be a long fight. It is going to require all of us to take part. I urge you to read Natalie McCabe's Werger's stirring essay, Dear White People, Let's Not Continue to Be Our Ancestors, to watch Trevor Noah's video, to put your dollars toward one of the many organizations who are fighting for racial justice right now. I'll include links to some of these in my show notes today. It's been a hard week to find daily sanity. Some days it's felt impossible, but Roxanne's words have helped me to find my way there today. 
When I hear Roxanne's words, the daily sanity I find is both big and small. We need to do big things as a society. Sanity means pressing toward justice, pushing ourselves to action, even when we feel like crawling in a hole. Sanity means small things too. It means changing the way that we look at each other. That moment in the grocery store when the checkout person wiped down Roxanne's station, such a small thing. But that small thing meant a lot to Roxanne. It reminded her that she was valued, that even a stranger cared enough to show her that. I hope you enjoyed that jump back into time and that in this week of Juneteenth, you check out some of the other episodes we've done with Black artists, writers, theologians, and activists. We'll send you a curated list of our favorites when you sign up for our newsletter at shelterinplacepodcast.info. I also wanted to let you know that we're accepting applications until July 31st for our fall mentorship program, where we're taking everything we've learned in over 20 years of being writers and now podcasters and passing it on to others. We're teaching them not just the skills, but the artistry of podcasting and helping to launch them beyond entry-level internships and into their career. You can hear audio testimonials from our past graduates on our website, shelterinplacepodcast.info. You can also find ways to support us there. We're planning on making season three, and we're excited to mentor a new cohort of creators. But we also know that we need to spend this summer finding partnerships to support this work so that we can make it sustainable in the long run. If you have your own ideas of how we can keep this work going, we would love to hear from you. You can always reach out to us at hello at shelterinplacepodcast.info. Shelter in Place episodes are now airing on radio stations across the country. And station managers have told us that listener requests make a big difference in what they choose to air. If you'd like to hear Shelter in Place on your local public radio station, send them an email and ask them to air our episodes. Shelter in Place is part of the Herd at Media Network. The Shelter in Place music was created by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions. Additional music and sound effects for this episode came from Storyblocks. Until next time, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis. A Huda Media Production.